Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, today's episode is brought to you by Tell Me About Your Father. It's a new podcast about father figures, daddy issues, and dismantling the paternal mystique. Tune in today. And listen to the full first season, seven episodes in total. You're going to hear intimate interviews with a range of fascinating and influential people talking about their dads, the first guy they ever knew. Or maybe they didn't know him. Or maybe they wish they didn't know him. You know what I'm talking about. The show is created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Matthew Philp, and Elizabeth Thompson, all of whom are writers, all of whom have their own father stories to tell. Tell me about your father unpacks all facets of the father the loving the ambivalent the supportive the fiscally irresponsible the obscenely wealthy the dead the living the fathers who have built us up and the dads who have let us down the premiere season of tell me about your father seven episodes they're waiting for you on apple Podcasts, spotify and stitcher you can also find all of the episodes at tellmeaboutyourfather.com and additional content can be found on instagram at tellmeaboutyourfather also, don't forget, there's an anonymous hotline, 1-888-318-DADS, 1-888-318-DADS. You can call it, you can leave a message, you can tell a story about your father, and maybe they'll share it on Instagram, or leave your name and number, and maybe they'll ask you about your father. Tell me about your father. It's a new podcast. Go get it. Season one, available right now, all right? Okay. How are you out there? What's going on? I'm Brad Listy, and this is the Other People Podcast. I'm in Los Angeles. It's nice to be with you. Thank you for listening. I have Kevin Bigley as my guest today. Kevin Bigley is the author of a novel called Comaville. It's available from Clash Books. Kevin Bigley is, uh, in addition to being a novelist, a talented screen actor. He's an actor. And we get into that in our conversation. So he's a hyphenate. I have, I've had hyphenates on this program before. I've had writers slash actors. I've had writers slash musicians. I don't think I've had a writer who's a visual artist in any kind of professional sense, but I could be forgetting something. But I had a really good time talking with Kevin. He was here. We talked in person. This is the last interview that I have in the can from before Shelter in Place went into effect. So subsequently going forward uh everything was you know everything has got to be done 
over the computer, over the transom, because I can't talk to people in person during the pandemic, as you might expect. Unless we're like in hazmat suits or something. I don't know how to do this. Just trying to adapt. Uh, trying to think of what to say. I've been pretty, like, I've been keeping my head down and I've just been working. I've been reading. What did I do? I took my kids up into the mountains this weekend. That's another thing I've been doing is I've been trying to get in the car on the weekends and just go somewhere and explore, like, the surrounding territory. I don't know what else to do. We had a little picnic on the side of the road. And then we got up high enough that there was some snow. So we got to throw snowballs. My dog Twiggy got to see snow for the first time in her life. So not all bad, you know? Trying to make the best of things. Uh, What else can you do? My guest is Kevin Bigley, and his novel, Comaville, is out there from Clash Books. Great time meeting him, great time talking with him. He is also the star of, uh, God damn it, what's the name of it? Hang on a second. Let me look this up. What's it called again? He's on a show. You're going to hear us talk about it. He's been on the USA Network series Sirens. Let me, let me read you his IMDb page. What has he done? There's a show called, uh, like the most recently, he's on a show called Upload. He plays Luke. And this is a Greg Daniels show. This is a big deal. It's called Upload. So what else has he done? Bojack Horseman. He played uh, Quentin Tarantolino. <laughs> he did. I think he did some voice acting on BoJack. He uh, he's done a lot. Check it out. Dude's a real actor. He hung out with Vince Vaughn. You're gonna hear us talk about that. Did some work with uh, Vince Vaughn. He was on Scream Queens, I guess. The Angry Birds movie. So, uh, anyway, let's get to the interview. Let's do this. Are you ready? This is Kevin Bigley, and his new novel, again, is called Comaville. I don't know. I've been acting for a long time. Professionally, it's hard to say, like, professionally, but I feel like that would mean when I got out of college, so 2022. Um, and I started in TV um, and uh, and kind of did some stuff in Chicago and theater, did a lot of theater in Chicago, moved out to LA about 10 years ago. And then I've been writing all that time too. But you know, to it's, uh, it's kind of tough. I wanted to like write sketch and TV and stuff. And that was, that was kind of tough to crack into, Yeah, but yeah, fiction along with it too. But, um, but yeah, mostly just trying to write along, um, in the whole comedy realm, I was with like Funnier and Die for a while too, and so yeah, it all kind of coincided. Got it. Yeah. And where are you from originally? Northern California, so like Sutter County, 
uh, my, my wife always makes fun of me because I, I never stick to like one place when I say where I'm from because I moved around a lot. But uh, like Sutter County, Marysville, Yuba City area, so right above Sacramento. I've already okay. thrown out several locations. What is that? Like, like in it's, it's, Grass Valley? Where is that's that? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that it? That's around there. Yeah. Well, it's like we were talking earlier about you being, you know, uh, your uh, grandfather, great grandfather being from the um, from the north. Uh, that was mine. Mine was um, like they were all dust bowlers. And a lot of those dust bowlers went to, you know, Grapes of Wrath style to the Central Valley. Right. So it's like weirdly Southern. Why? Because it was like arable land or because yeah, were they, were they farming go- gold and, or were yeah, they? Yeah, the gold. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, and then Sutter was John Sutter. So like the, the, uh, the gold, the discovery of gold in 1849 or 1848 was there. So it's like they, it's, it has this weird, rich history. Um, and it does not feel like California. Like my wife is from Chicago and a lot of her family will be like, we'll go to San Diego or something and they'll be like, this is California. Huh? And you're like, this, this, this is pretty different. It's a, just a weird state. And if you go up there, it's just like flatlands, meth and cows, you know? So That's it. Like, yeah. The, the California, right. you know, everybody's like, I think idea of California is coastal and urban, you know, it's San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot to it. It's a big place. It's, it's huge. And it has so many different personalities. That's why when people talk about like splitting it up, there was that – what was that thing? It was going to be like a referendum where it was just going to be like you know, all this splitting that, up. I'm going to sound like a, a tinfoil hat person, but that was an op that was based out of Russia. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what I read. There was no a, way. The guy – I want to say the guy who originated it or one of the guys who originated it was American-born but was based out of like Moscow. And it, they want to divide up California so that they can make a red state, basically. Just fuck things up. Well, dude, if you go, I mean, that whole Central Valley is, it's red. It, yeah. Like, it, it's it's very, very conservative. And it's only two hours away from San Francisco. Right. <laughs> You're like, how does this happen? And that's it. Dust bowlers. It's like, it's a lot of farming communities, especially economically. They're, they're pretty destitute, mostly because a lot of them came from... Um, you know, like my grandparents, the the 30s of that, that Great Depression, and they, they sat on their money. So a lot of these uh, – my grandparents were, like, burying their money. You know, like they were, like, trying to hide it. They didn't trust the banks. So it's weird. It's this weird um, kind of, like, stubborn place that has kind of put its heels in and is refusing to adapt or anything. And um, it's just kind of a, a weird spot. It, and, that, and that's where you're from. That's where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, that's so when you, when you say dust bowlers, where did they come from? Iowa. So a lot of them came from Iowa. And that's my mom's side. Uh, my dad's side was mostly California uh, for a long, long time. But long. yeah, yeah, dust bowlers who, who came over 30s, 40s, around there. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and so when you're growing up, are you growing up like, on a farm? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was... <laughs> We, the, the, it, it encountered like a lot of hardship that area with a, a series of like very biblical events, uh, like several floods and some fires and stuff. So uh, I was born in '86, and that was right when the flood hit, right bef- right before I was born. And so we lived in this little house that was hit by the flood. So it was just mildewy and totally fucked up. And we lived next to like. And you lived in it after that, too? Yeah. Like, if my my growing up, like, my, like, 
my childhood would be if you wrote it would be like an angsty college short story um that you'd be like this is a kid trying to be gritty you know like <laughs> i lived in this shitty house that smelled of mold from the flood that just happened that was on a freeway on ramp like you would to get on the freeway you would have to pass our house and next door to us was an abandoned mall that was de- destroyed by the flood Oh my god! So, yeah, like I, like a big shopping mall. Yes, huge shopping mall. So like it, and it just sat there like this. Just Is that where you played as a kid, like your mom. Yeah, just let, like it, let like you Stephen lose? King style. If you were just going to get on the freeway, you would pass this house. And you're like, what the fuck is this house going? There? Why is that child riding his bicycle alone in this abandoned mall parking lot? <laughs> it's terrifying, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But to I, me, it's just I was like just fun. Uh, yesterday. My wife and I took our kids out to uh, this place called Descanso Gardens. Have you ever been there? Mm-mm. It's out off the two. On your way to like La Cañada, right, 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 like Flint, you know, right towards Altadena. Sure. And I was driving on the two freeway, and I looked to my right, and there's just like two houses that are literally on the freeway, facing the freeway. Yeah. Like that, you open your front door, and it's a freeway. Who? I, that, it's just. It's How just do you so sell funny. Like who goes build it here? Yeah. Like yeah. this is or this buy is this. Spot. I'm yeah, gonna buy right. this. I think this, this is what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. It doesn't make any. It doesn't make any sense. So we lived there for a while, and then when I was about six or seven, we moved um, to a bigger property that was like a. It was like three quarters of an acre on, and like we had this little trailer um, on like this property. My dad had aspirations for like a ranch, but we didn't have a lot of money. He was a construction worker. He was like a hod carrier. And worked in stucco. A what? A hod carrier. What does that mean? He just did a lot of he did a lot of stucco um, throughout like throughout town. So um, he was on working on various crews. He tried to start his own business for a while, um, but he had dreams of of uh, having you know just having animals around. But we didn't have a lot of money, and animals are expensive. So we kind of had like a round robin of like animal experiments. <laughs> right. Like now we're trying sheep for just a moment. Yeah. Someone's got this you know steer that they're trying to offload we'll give that a shot i raised a pig for a little bit you know how did that go it went okay i didn't do too i didn't do too hot i I was i wasn't i wasn't meant for it um (laughs) it didn't it didn't take do you have siblings i do i have a sister okay younger three years okay um yeah, we were just like two little hillbilly kids running around outside. That sounds you know. fun, though. It was pretty fun. Like when you're yeah. a kid, it's fun. Yeah, where you're just like, what tree are we, am I going to climb today? It was like a lot of the agenda. And I mean, it was it was great. And I was trying to give this pig a go and didn't work out. And, what happened know. to the pig? We ate it. <laughs> did you? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, we did 4-H. You're supposed to sell it. So there's the whole show thing at the county fair. And I... I I botched it pretty hard. I, I didn't because you. I don't know if you've seen this. Like you kind of show them with other people showing their pigs, where you like use a cane to kind of it shows how much I know about this. And how I don't know I anything about this. <laughs> it's very archaic. So you like just kind of like usher your pig around, and if you tap on the left shoulder, the pig goes right, and you tap on the right. Yeah, because you can train a pig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very smart. You have to spend the time with them. I didn't really devote the time. So, um, what was the pig's name? Uh, Duracell was his name. Like the battery? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. In my kid's brain, it was a Duroc pig, uh, and uh, Duroc was close to Duracell to me. And there was some kind of pun 
I think for me that was like, he's not going to have a long life. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> after a battery it was like my dark 10 year old sense of humor. That is really vicious. It was pretty mean. <laughs> yeah. And we did, I did, went to the pen and did the leading around thing, but I didn't spend the time, the prep that was necessary to make it believable. And everybody else is navigating their pigs around this arena and uh, my pig just stopped and hung out. And then after a while, I got a tap on the shoulder by a judge that was like, you got to go. Yeah, that's, we've had enough. <laughs> we've seen enough of Duracell. Yeah. It's kind of like a, it's probably somewhat allegorical of like my life of like when you're looking around being like, everyone's pigs are, <laughs> everyone has better control than I do, you know? So, yeah. Hey, everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Okay, so your dad is uh, uh, doing stucco. He's doing stucco. What does Hod mean? Hod carrier. I, he would kick my ass if he if I didn't know. If I I don't I don't really quite know. It's like it was it. It's the most physically demanding of that line of work and it's a lot of scaffolding work and, and a lot of carrying stuff up and down with that okay you know, and odd um and then my my mom my mom's family had a construction outfit that was a trenching company which i worked for for like my summers while people were rich families were going and like digging, digging trenches yeah i was like in the trenches literally in the trenches. what are you digging them for like for plumbing good question man like i i think mostly it's like we were doing building um building pads a lot of the time so you're digging stuff up out or you're digging trenches to put you know piping in plumbing in uh -huh. stuff so what kind of kid were you were you like you i mean i know you're playing outside you have a pig and then uh yeah I imagine you were just like kind of a happy-go-lucky kid sure yeah, yeah yeah very much so like very active Liked sports, short. I was a very short kid, bullied often, but like, um, you know, rye, <laughs> like the Midwestern, because obviously all those dust bowlers. So it was like our family was always kind of sardonic. So I tried to be funny. Um, but yeah, definitely happy go lucky, probably overly tan from being outside all the time to dangerous extents in like the summer. But yeah. And then what about school stuff? Were you, in, were you a student? Moderate. You know, like, I, I mean, it was being funny was more important or like, you know, like playground stuff was more important to me and pretty common. And then my dad became a uh, he kind of wanted to get out of that line of work because there wasn't, you know, good longevity. He was like 35 or 33 and kind of looked around and was like, oh, I think I'm the oldest guy. Plus, that kind of work is hard on your body. Yeah. Someone died on the job. 
when he was there in their 50s and had a heart attack and died uh, on the sidewalk. Jesus. And he was like, I think this... And then he looked around and he's like, I'm the oldest guy now. That was the senior. Now I'm the senior. And uh, this is a crazy story, but he was <laughs> he was watching... He was watching X-Files and uh, he, having his first real existential crisis of like, what am I going to do? And what's the whole point of this whole thing? And he's watching X-Files and... All of a sudden, he starts being like, this would be kind of a cool job. <laughs> so he calls, like, the FBI hotline just to, about, like, the recruitment hotline. And he's like, hey, how do you do that? You know, what do I do with well, – I got – you know, I want to kind of change it up. And they're like, well, how old are you? And I think he was, like, 33. And they're like, well, you're a little old for recruitment. And you don't have any military experience. You're a hog carrier. But uh, we do encourage, like, you know, local law enforcement so he became a um, he became uh, like a sheriff's county jail, um, and then uh, and then ended up being a prison guard. Wow! At Pelican Bay. Wow! So we moved up north to Oregon when I was like thirteen. Pelican Bay is in Oregon. Uh, it's in Crescent City, so it's in the top there of California. We live just over the border in Oregon. That's gonna be rough work. You got to see some. Yeah, shit. it's tough, man. Like it's. I mean, it's. The, a lot of them have PTSD, especially a place like um, Pelican Bay, where it's like maximum security. Manson's there, you know. It's like it's. Is that where he was? Yeah, he was. He moved around a lot. Did your dad him. know him? No, but there were. Pelican Bay is very famous. It's like you know modern day Alcatraz. Sounds through. like a golf course. <laughs> I'll meet you at Pelican Bay. We'll go out. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's it's like. It's like that in like San Quentin, you know, like yeah. even San Quentin's kind of falling off. It's like Pelican Bay's maximum security, level five prison. Well, so it's like, it's like Supermax in Florence, Colorado. That's where they put like the baddies. Right. Like yes, the, this is the bad stuff. Yeah. And it was crazy because if you watched anything on, on TV where they did a special on prisons, they did it on Pelican Bay. And my little town, that it was like town of like 8,000, 10,000 people. A lot of prison workers? All prison workers and fishermen. It was like all people who who... Fished for a living. So coastal Oregon. Coastal Oregon. Yeah. But the prisons in Northern California on the coast. Yeah. Yeah. So just over the border. So people liked, the, they didn't want to live next to the prison. Um, and Crescent City's kind of, what at the time was pretty bad off from like a tsunami. I kind of follow flood towns around. I was going to say, <laughs> wherever you go, I'm worried now. Yeah, man. Yeah. Worry about the natural disaster. Then, yeah. Then LA for the earthquakes is why I moved here. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, over in Oregon, coastal Oregon, which was really cool and pretty, like Goonies. Pretty. It's like where the Goonies was filmed, that kind of area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, it's it's all like ferns and redwoods and you know, um, like sea mist. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. terrific. It's what great. did your mom do? Was she? Uh, My mom worked a lot in um, like uh, reception for like medical for any kinds of doctors' offices and stuff. But then slowly worked her way up at Kaiser. So um, she she was a, a quality analyst and works in cardiology and kind of um, manages now quality analysts where they help kind of uh, – she would also be mad at me about this. She analyzes a lot of like the paperwork from uh, the, that the doctors do on the patients. So they – so kind of how maybe there were missteps on doctors of what they've done wrong. So she kind of helps keep them in check. Like quality control. Quality control. Got it. Okay. So And they're still up there? They are now um, back. They're in two places. They are in the Bay Area, um, and then they. My mom still works at Kaiser, and then uh, my dad just retired, 
he became a parole agent in the Bay Area as well. No shit. So, but he's done now, and he's he's living in that in Sutter County. And so uh, they like, both do. They go back and forth. Sacramento, Sacramento area, yeah. and they're still together. Yeah. Okay. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um. So, any crazy stories from prison guard stuff? Were there prison riots or anything? Oh man, there was a bad one in '99, I think. Uh, 98 or 90 i'm pretty sure 99 and he had been there for just very shortly and it was like it, it's it's one of the biggest riots of all time and when it happened that's the thing if you watched anything uh any kind of cable programming on pelican bay you'd see like all of your friends dads so like this riot goes down and it's really huge and also there like, were like rumblings of it that that might happen you know like there were rumors yeah so like, like uh when you watch lock up mm-hmm they do, do they ever film at Pelican Bay? Yeah, all they the time. Do. Okay. Yeah. And then we'd watch it and you'd see like this prisoner, you know, being like a total hard ass who's terrifying. And my dad being like, he's all talk. They, he, I remember they, <laughs> they shot that. You know, you're like, <laughs> he just stays in his cell, you know, like my wife had, my wife had a friend who would like watch lock up and she's like, these guys are hot. She was like into them. <laughs> they have like neck tattoos. And, yeah, man. Yeah. It, it's a terrifying environment for sure. And like a lot of them suffer from hardcore PTSD because there were some really, really violent things in which friends of his got attacked or there would be little, you know, um, there would be rumblings of a hit planned or, you know, they would have to fight for their lives against someone who had a shank. And you're, But you your know, dad never had that happen? Not necessarily. I'd, I think there were, there were definitely plenty of times in which it was close, you know. And even then, if it did, I don't think he was going to tell us any of that kind of stuff. You see, because you're, you're a pretty strapping guy. Like, is your dad... Uh, Dad's a big dude. He was, yeah, he was, he, especially back then. He, he was, can whoop some ass? Yeah, yeah. You have guy. to be if you're a prison a guard. country boy, you know, like they all called him cowboy. It's like a, you know, like an identity. You know, he was the big, big how big, how tall, chested dude. Not too tall, probably about five, just just a hair short of six foot, like two hundred sixty pounds. Damn, you know, he benched like three sixty. You know, he's a big, strong, strong dude. Got it. But yeah, but still, you know, terrifying out there. You know, you got to be on your toes. Yeah, but you can't have an off day. No, no, no. And you no. can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, mentally check out. I'm well, exhausted. Well, it's just scary, too, because it's like you don't have anything. You know, you have rubber bullets, maybe, or you're working in the tower or whatever, or you're on the yard, but you don't, if you, you can't have a gun, you know, like you. Because if that gets out of your hands. Yeah, everyone's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's terrible, you know, but you, you can watch the videos of that, of that Pelican Bay riot are pretty insane because they would strategically place everything hide weapons on the yard for like weeks leading up to it and then it was just like when that when you know that norteño shoots the a ball from like the top of the key that's when we go and there's one video where this dude just gets up there shoots this ball and doesn't even watch it like everyone knows that that's the signal and it just crashed like these these two i mean it's it's madness wow yeah it's pretty yeah, it's, it's intense pretty, yeah. it's an intense work environment yeah um you never <laughs> do you ever get me do you ever go to you know like follow your dad to work day like, yeah <laughs> yeah walk in the well, yard I remember, I remember i was like in band or whatever and, and uh and he's working up at pelican bay and we got um we made some tournament or whatever where we got to go to uh san francisco so we traveled down 
and we went to Alcatraz and there was like all of we took the tour and there was all of these stories of like guards being killed in the kitchen. <laughs> I, was, I like got on the phone with my dad. I was like, "Are you okay out there?" <laughs> you know, like, all of a sudden, I'm very aware of yeah. like how dangerous this job is, and yeah, it was totally, totally terrifying. Damn. Yeah, that's, that's a federal prison, Pelican Bay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the it's the big one. They have they they have like some. Lower security, uh, I think they called it. Oh, you'd be so mad about this shoe unit. I think it was like all kind of the lower end, like you know, class one felon or class two. You know, but the, all the class fives were those were the bad, those were the baddies. Yeah, yeah. fuck man. That's Manson intense. was there for a little bit. He would like uh, there was not my dad, but my friend's dad. Like he tried to draw a picture. He drew a picture of like a lot of naked women. He would hand them out to the guards. But you, could Manson get, would. Yeah, yeah. You get like in a lot of trouble if you took that out of the prison, but I think some of them did. I mean, that's crazy. Like, I just feel like uh, with Charles Manson, uh, obviously, like I did not experience or you know, I'm talking about the interviews that he would do every once in a while, like on Nightline, or mm-hmm. every once in a while, like you'd have some like you know, like central casting reporter dude who would <laughs> go in and be like, "I am sitting across from Charles, Charles. Manson." Manson. <laughs> yeah. And Manson just, just struck me as bat shit crazy. Bonkers. Like bonkers. Like, yeah. And so what it made me wonder was uh, how did this guy hold sway over so many people? Yeah. He must have been a lot more together. Some, yeah, mentally. maybe the charisma f- fell apart. Or it's just like anybody finding anything that, like, um, if if their life was chaotic enough. That this guy seems to have an idea, <laughs> you know. Like I guess if you're that if you're that broken, you know. I mean, the only the, the thing that it, that like would trip me up was what's his name was Tex. Like that dude who was like the athlete. Yeah. You're like how did you? You're the all American. That was the big question with that too. It's like the all American kid. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I, I don't know. Why'd you all these, fall for that thing? I, I don't know. If all, were all the, the the kids in the Manson family were they all totally broken? Mm-hmm. Or were they just young and like dropping acid and it was just this moment and maybe if you're doing a ton of drugs, you're psychologically vulnerable. Right. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, maybe yeah. that's what it was and he just kind of came in there and molded them at that moment. But anytime I saw him on camera, I was just like, like I'm not following that guy five feet. He's well, that, he's far less believable than like, I know he did, wasn't a cult leader, but like Bundy or something where like you're listening to Bundy and you're like... Well, maybe he didn't. You know? <laughs> well, Bundy, Bundy's, Bundy's sort of like like he looked like Ted Danson. He's like, yeah. he was like handsome, like conventionally yeah. handsome, yeah. and like sort of charming. Kind of charming. You can see how that guy could have seduced people, but like uh, Manson, you Manson know. looks like a rat that you just like found. <laughs> <laughs> and he, yeah, he's like this tiny little guy. I'd yeah, be like, oh, wild eyed. Yeah. yeah, there's and, nothing really that with a swastika on his forehead. You're right. like, I don't believe you. Once, <laughs> once you make the decision to carve a swastika into your forehead, like you've officially just relinquished any kind yeah. of hope of ever. I don't even trust you to like drive. No, <laughs> like <laughs> with me in the passenger seat. No, like no, nothing. No. You're, no. You've officially just marked yourself forever. You don't seem very sane. Yeah. Um, okay, so you are an athlete. Oh man, it would be that's a stretch. I mean, I'm definitely. I I'm in shape and I have to be. I think because you're think. an actor. Yeah, it's yeah. like your job is to part of your job is to be like you have to be physically. I fit. have to be physically fit. Yeah. Well, especially because like if you're on something, and you 
What do you mean, on a show? On oh, steroids. No, on a... Um, <laughs> Human growth hormone. <laughs> if you're on a show and you're, like, leading up to a season, as was with this last one that's coming up, like... Well, on what show? It's called Upload. Um, uh, when when would this be out? Uh, it'll be, like, probably a month or two. Okay. Uh, the Then the trailer's out by this time. So it's Upload's, like, this... It's a Greg Daniels show, and... Um, it, it's going to be out May 1st, um, but it's a, it, it, it's a comedy on Amazon. Oh, no shit. Yeah. It's Good for cool. you. Yeah. It's, it's like this futuristic thing. Greg, the huge, I'm a huge fan of his and. What else has he done? Uh, The Office, um, Parks and Rec. He wrote, uh, on SNL 86 to 90, okay. which are like some of my favorite years. Yeah. And, uh, Simpsons, I think like seasons three to like seven. Like good years, King of the Hill. Uh, he's done like a lot. He was like writing partners with Conan O'Brien. It's weird because it's like you uh, everything I find funny. It's like you've had some hand in creating, right? You know, right? He's like so, six degree or less than six degrees, right? So when we came into this season, I I like got the scripts and um, my my character in it. The whole idea is that you can be um, your consciousness can be uploaded into an afterlife it's like takes place near future like 2035 but it's been corporatized so like amazon has an afterlife that comes with your prime your amazon prime <laughs> you know like it's like they're like cell phone plans or like cable it's like you know hbo has one it's like terrifyingly yeah. plausible yeah very plausible and a lot of the show is very prescient already because even when he started writing it some of the stuff started to come true and you're like Fuck. like this is crazy we're not we're not far off um so that's the whole idea. Um, but I read some of the scripts and I was like, oh, shit. I'm, uh, I was already reasonably in shape, but you're like, oh, I'm shirt off here. I'm having sex there. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. So I have to make sure things are like pretty good because yeah. they're permanent. And it's, it's happened before where I've been on something. I was on a show in Chicago and I was kind of like, ah, fuck it. Right. You know, let's go out and have some beer. And, and it's like. Uh, and anything with salt is all good. And then by, so like I'd come in like tan and trim the first episode. And then by the end of the season, I was like bloated and pale, <laughs> just looked sleepless. And, yeah, yeah. 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 I, uh, I was just uh, not too long ago. I was uh, talking to, uh, you know, my uncle, I was telling you, I was talking to him over Skype mm. and you know how you have like your, your computer's camera sort of open. Yeah. I wasn't like, we weren't Skyping video. We were actually just talking audio only, but right. I could see myself like sure. live video. Yeah. Oh, and you're like, who the fuck? Like a low angle, like a low <laughs> yeah, angle oh, shot. The low angle's yeah. Best. And I'm just like, is These this what I look like? Is this what people are seeing? Fat. Like, yeah, I know. Like <laughs> there's never been an uglier man. Yeah. No, it's just like, I'm getting old. I it's know. Like, just, you know, but then other times I'm like, well, this is okay. I can deal with this. Like as long as the light's soft. Yeah. You, know, you can't fully see me. Yeah, that's how I look. That's good. That's good. Let's just keep this. You know. Yeah. yeah I I I like have to, I yeah. I'm trying to do different things and it's like. When you try not to eat carbs. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I try and eat less of that. Um, sugar. Sugar. I don't monitor too bad. I'm not too bad with it. My my, my crux is like I do like I love salt. Like and is salt I'm, bad? It's bad. Everything's bad. What is, like, what is what is the problem with salt? I, I, I eat a ton of salt. It's so bad for your heart. And oh, uh, I do, I've been trying to like monitor like the milligrams and stuff and try and 
take it out of like my breakfast and like a few sprinkles. Is it all right? I, I think I think so. Well, I'm trying. I, I'm trying to see. I'm going the other way. Yeah, and seeing what happens. I, I'm good with rules. Yeah, I give myself rules to things. Sure. To to diet because diets are really fucking annoying. So yeah. if I can do that, uh, drinking it's like. I can do as much as I want on the weekends and now not during the week, you know, but if, um, if I went unchecked, I could just drink myself to death and, and, <laughs> and have a bunch of salt and just be like this bloated yeah. <laughs> beer thick. So that your guy. profession, I mean, it's, that's a unique profession. It enforces a certain discipline on you. If you want to keep working, like you, it's pretty hard. It limits you yeah. at least if you well, want to try also, to get roles. I've lost role. This just sounds so complaining, but I've lost roles because of I'm, uh, I'm, I'm muscular. So like, and I know that <laughs> you're, big, you're big bones, and it's, just, and it's really hard. Uh, <laughs> but no, I've lost plenty of roles because they, they just went with a fat guy because it's like they wanted someone quote unquote more charactery, and you're like, yeah, for sure. So yeah. it's like to, like people usually don't think you can be muscular and comedic, and you're like, these are just insecurity balloons that <laughs> popped up <laughs> to defend the little boy who's getting the shit beaten out of him. That's all. Is that what it comes is. from? That's all it is. Yeah. You know? That's all the sense of humor was it's all like self-defense yeah it's all self-defense it's all some insecurity you know that's piled on top of each other but no i try and i still can't i can't like there's plenty of you know when i get a role to um i try and stay on top i try and stay active anyway but like i i i need a game i can't just go and lift or anything right i do i box and i've done that since i was like 12 so really I, yeah i need like a, i need a game i need something happening I got that it, I can yeah. keep working on. I'm a fan of the sport and I watch it, so it's like I get I can like pick little things and work on something, you know. So I'm going there and trying to get better at something. How good of a fighter are you? Oh man, probably not very good. I mean like I'm okay. I'm not like I could I could spar with somebody and be all right. Like um but I like every now and then I I up my training sessions with this guy who's like a pro and where do um, you box? I box it uh, on the east side where I'm at in Highland Park. This is LAKO. Oh, okay. And uh, I'll go and box there. It's just a little podunk gym. And uh, this guy's a pro, and I, I do feel like I'm pretty good. And I feel like, okay, like I'm I'm strong, and I'm reasonably fast, and I feel like I could – I could I could fare well, and then you get in the ring with a pro, and you go, "Oh, you work here. This is right. what you do." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And he just like throws these lightning things. He kicked the shit out of me. Like, right. <laughs> I'm like okay during versus your standard dude, but like no. Like, and you're wearing guy's... like head uh, gear. Like yeah, you... I don't do too much of that. Like ever, uh, very rarely because I. I what do you mean you don't wear you don't wear product, uh, protective gear? Oh, I don't do strikes to the head. Oh, you like, don't. Like we'll do stuff where he has like he's throwing mitts where you have to block, but hopefully you block them or miss you know make him miss. But like he's never trying to fuck me up because he knows that I'm on a show, right? <laughs> so it's like, right. Please don't. You know, you know you can. Do you so. know how much this face is worth? <laughs> right. Well, also it trips me out too because sometimes if I'm writing and I I start to like struggle with the word or something where I'm like, what the fuck is yeah, like anything? Like anybody does where you're like, where is that? I'm so paranoid um, that I'm just gonna forget or something, and I don't need another concern because if I sat there and I was struggling to look for some uh, some word that I couldn't grasp, I would start and I was sparring, I would start to be like, I'm fucking my brain up, and I just. I would spiral. Right. So I'm just preserving my, my It's probably smart. My sanity. You don't yeah. want to take headshots if you don't no, need to. No, no. And, and, and like if you're going to, you know, 
if you're like going to shoot and you're trying to hide some injury or something, it's like, what? I'm in my 30s. I'm not, that's, you know, no qualms about this. I'm not competing. Right. You know, like, you're not going for the belt. No, no. So, but, um, but that's enough. You know, like the working mitts and stuff. That's, and bo- that's boxing cool. is fucking exhausting. It's tiring. Yeah. It's like that and like swimming. It yes. just kicked the shit out of you. Right. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very good. Um, I, I just I I like getting better at it and everything and I, I like uh I like putting yourself through that kind of a thing. You you deal with a lot of like douchebags at the gym. There's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of macho shit I bet. behind it cuz it's fighting, you know, but What about like MMA? Are you into that? I'm not. I I I maybe I was when I was younger. I boxing too I get in football like where when I watch it I just get very concerned. Right. You know? That's how I am. Your father like yeah. I mean, it's just like these are chill. These are someone's child, you know. Like, and there's <laughs> there's people here that are older than these guys that are wearing the jerseys of them, and it just seems really, you know. I like sports, I do, but I I get um, when like when like neurological damage, brain damage is like a central feature of the sport. <laughs> It has to make you question your fandom if you have a conscience. I saw a guy get hit, um, dropping back, like on the Titans or whatever, and he just got walloped. And oh, you mean was, football? Yeah, football. And he just started, like, his claws came up like T Rex hands and yeah. stuff, you know, and his head went to the side. And it was like, man, I don't know about this. Like, yeah, what, what, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I cheering for yeah, here? Exactly. You know, this know, is know. really hard. I like, have that feeling too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so yeah. it's good, but it's good if you're trying to stay in shape. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you need to lose LBs, that's perfect. Yeah. So, okay. So how do you go from living up in Pelican Bay, uh, in Oregon, yeah. small town, coastal, yep. running around in the redwoods, mm-hmm. young, you know, uh, on the smaller side, getting bullied, yeah. developing like a sense of humor and self-defense. I guess that kind of points you in the direction of it performance. Tracks. It all tracks. Yeah. yeah. So, but like, when do you decide like, this is the path that I'm on? Um, like I did a Shakespeare play and, um, and just because a bunch of friends were and like, I was like, this is, I was, I was a ham and it was like all that stuff transferred over, you know? So I had like some people supporting me and my dad became a parole agent and we moved. It was kind of like the army brat, but like the police version. And we went down to San Francisco. Like in the city? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For like a year. Um, but he stayed there, but then we moved out just outside the city. But I went to high school, sophomore through senior there, and it was kind of like a grungy magnet school that was like uh, an art school, but it was like, like quote unquote art school. It was like they would, it was a school where it's a you know San Francisco's so competitive academically for all like the high schools. A lot of the um, kids that their parents were very concerned with, you know, whether or not they would do okay, they just kind of were like pick an art and go there, and that's where I went. Okay, so, but it also catered to anyone who was skilled, so uh, who wanted to, because there were some good teachers. So I had a really good, really good acting teacher, and and just worked hard on it. And I kind of started to be like, I was working, <laughs> I was going to acting school, like at uh, high school, and then um, working construction in the summers. So it was a good like. The, the disparity between them of just being like, oh, I don't want to do that. And, uh, and right, I know right. that I'm not great academically, but um, I'm creative. And I think this is probably all that I can do. So I and, just, I, and I don't want to spend the rest of my life. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I did that uh, the, summer, the summer after my freshman year. I worked outside on a construction crew 
I was basically just a foreman's bitch. Oh, like just anything that no one wanted to do. Yeah, was, yeah, they would be like, go, you go do it. And I did that for whatever, two, three months in like the blazing summer heat. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. I was we like, were doing like blacktop work and you're on top of like asphalt. And uh, my, my midway through the summer, my ears were so bad from the sun that they were blisters. They were popping. They were uh, like, like puffed up. I'll probably get cancer on my ears. I was going to sure. say no sunscreen. Yeah, none. You know, yeah. you're a kid. You're like, fuck it. I'll just go out there. And, and it was just so rough. We were doing, we did everything. We did concrete work. We did. And then you're going back and acting and, you know, someone's talking about their trip to Spain or whatever. And you're like, Mother Mallorca fuck, is so <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. I was just down in a trench, like, for my entire summer. You're, like, drinking at 17, like a grown man, you know? Like, it, it yeah. was like... Like, like, and when you right. say like a grown man, it's like to, to like make the pain go away. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one day, like I got home from like work and, and like after working, you know, you get, I'm getting paid 10 an hour and like I come home and I had had like some KFC that I had, I had got dinner la- the night before and then I put it in the fridge because I did purposely didn't eat all of my dinner because I knew that when I got home, it's 110 degrees. I'm going to come home, I'll have cold chicken and I'll pop a, I'll pop a Bud Light and I'll sit down. And I think, I think they're the game because it's Monday, the game will be on. And I like popped it open. And I was like, I'm 45. Yeah, <laughs> I'm this 17, is it. And I'm a 45 year old man. Uh, yeah, like yeah. It, was, it was quite the experience, you know? Oh uh, yeah. It gives you a little bit of a flash forward. You could just walk into liquor stores because I would just be wearing like my Wranglers, my work boots, tucked in orange shirt, like beat up hat. And I looked like shit. And I would just pop it. You know, twelve pack on the on the it's counter. In the eyes. Like, fucking take it. Man. It's in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. This guy's this guy's suffering. He's seen it. Yeah, <laughs> go home, enjoy the game. But yeah. that's a good education in its it was, own yeah. in its own right. You know, yeah. it teaches you to work hard to kind of get. You know, it's good to have that perspective, um, and it's good to have both perspectives. You are also getting an education in the fine arts. Yeah, and hanging with people who get to like go to Spain and shit. And- totally. I yeah. I, my goal was like I got up at. Like five thirty every morning to go to work, and the first words out of my mouth were "fuck." Like every day, and I was like, I think the goal is to not have that be the case. Right? Is to just like get, you know, the uh, job that I I like being at, and I don't mind getting up in the morning to go to, you know. And, and it was like, eh, this probably isn't going to pay that well. But I got into DePaul, um, the uh, what was formerly the Goodman School, so it was like theater and in Chicago, in Chicago. Okay. So I moved there. Wow. What was, why DePaul? Did somebody direct you to that? Yeah, there were like, it was, you know, that's up there with like Carnegie Mellon and, you know, uh, NYU and, you know, all those schools to where it was like, okay, cool. I was just like, I want DePaul's got one of the better acting schools? Yeah, like a solid, solid program. I didn't know that. Yeah, really good. But stressful because they would admit 52 and then they would cut 26. So they had a, uh, after the first year. So Damn. you had to, you kind of were going there with a roll of the dice. It's like a reality show. Yeah, it was. And that, yeah. And everyone's like, you know, at the parties or whatever, just being like, fuck, what do you, who do you think's going to, you know, make the cut, make the cut, you know, like it was, did you feel it, good about your chances? I felt all right. I thought I was going to be fine. I was like, if I'll make it, I'll, that'll be fine. If I didn't, I was like, I'm just going to go to LA. I was very like dedicated. I was like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm, I know the the one thing that I had probably through that construction was like, I know that I'm gonna that this is all I can do. So I'm, my chips are all in there. There were other kids who were like, well, 
if I get cut, I know I, I think I'll just go into, into medicine or go to law school or whatever. And they they had no none of them had student loans. You know, like it was to me, it was like this is it. Like life or, <laughs> like, but that's good. Stakes marriage. are high. Yeah, stakes are high for this. And but then also I did kind of started having somewhat of a creative contingency, and I started writing for the paper. So I started the school uh, paper. A school paper. I was covering. I was like sports editor and covering a lot of that. And then I was writing um, music reviews for sites freelance. So I was like keeping writing stuff going. And, so that and was the, the but that was the beginning of you writing. Yeah, that was the beginning of that. And then when did you start to nur- uh, nurse ambitions to write like either for the screen or for? Um... You know, right when page. I got out of college, I was it was like liberating because it was like you get to do whatever you want, and um, I I knew I wanted to go more in television film direction. So your education starts anew because you just kind of watch everything. You can at least and that's what I did. So I was like, I'm just gonna watch everything, and then it was I want to. Another thing probably that was the construction thing too is that, or just blue collar work ethic in general is that you go. I think. I can get better at whatever I want to as long as I become task-oriented and just kind of devote time. Whatever time I'm spending, and hopefully I'm spending it right, I can get better at it. So it was just like, I'm just going to learn to write jokes, and I'm going to learn to write narrative, um, but always, almost always comedic. So it was like I wanted to do sketch, and I thought sketch would be like, okay, that would be, I can make short-form stuff. Um, we can do three act structure. We get to learn how to do joke writing. It was like, I want to, and get was this good. in school in DePaul or was this like when afterwards? You, okay. Did you go to like, what is it? Upright citizens brigade? No. Or? Cause I was also like, it's so funny. Like when I was 17 and I was in the Bay area, my mom was like, well, you want to be an actor? Let's get you like maybe going for commercials. And I was like, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> like there's some kids who'd be like, Oh my God, no, no, no. no. Like, you know, I want to be a star and the whole thing. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not ready. You want to hear, want to hear a, a crazy story? My daughter, like neither my wife or I are theatrical at all. Neither mm-hmm. my wife or I are musical at all. My daughter's favorite thing is musical theater. It's very adorable. And she loves to go do these musicals. So we're like, okay, this is your thing. Like Foster, we're going to, yeah. we're going to support you. Yeah. So she does, uh, you know, I don't know which was the, was it the first one she did was Annie, cool or something like that. She got to play Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> well, yes, see that's great. Yeah, that's, she's like in drag. It was awesome. That's so, solid. But then somebody saw her, or there was some kind of call. But like Francis Ford Coppola needed a kid for a film project. He was auditioning, and they were like, you know, would she like to come down and audition for Francis? Wow. And my wife and I, we're not stage people at all. Yeah. We live in LA. This is a totally LA story. Very, yeah. This is not something we were pursuing. Right. She was just going to like a little black box theater for kid thing after school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife and I are like, holy shit. Like, like, what do we do? Yeah. You know? And yeah. so what we decided was like, we would ask her and if she wanted to do it, she could do it. Yeah. And if she didn't want to do it, we weren't going to force her. Right. I'm not a stage dad. I don't want, I don't give a shit. No, no, no. And so, uh, she was like, I'm too, I don't want to do it. Like on the day of, she kind of bailed. Right. And we were like, okay, cool. And like, now it's like, is she going to hate us for the rest yeah. of her <laughs> Why didn't you push me to, I didn't know who he was. I could have, I could have auditioned for Coppola. Do you understand age? the leg up that I, w- yeah, exactly. But I'm, I feel, I feel at peace with how we handle it. I think it was the right way to handle it. I think so too. Like, I think, I, I think uh, you're right. I don't, you know, I, you don't want to push it. And like, I, you know, in regards to the comedy thing, I was just kind of an extremist with like, I didn't need it 
like as far as like the improv or like stand up, you know, I tried up both of those things. I would go do it, you know, and I would go do some if I wrote some jokes. The immediate feedback, you're just like writing sketch or you're like trying to write some, you know, pilot or screen or whatever, but like there's no feedback. And 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 um to be able to get that immediately was nice, but you're around people who are like just like with me with acting or writing, it's like this is it. This is all. So when you get up on stage or you're off stage and you're hanging out with people like that and you're like, oh, these, these fuckers, this is it. This is what they need. This is this is where they feel like themselves up there. I don't belong there. So the, and, and Chicago was very improv very, very improv Yeah. Um, and evangelical about it. Like they were like you here's the, uh, there's a lot of purists and there's a lot of what, what's a, what is it? Uh, what's the big one? Second City. Second City. That's yeah. the one. And yeah. then that's Huge. like Tina Fey. Yeah. Farley. Uh, say again? Farley. Yeah. I mean, a yeah. bunch of people came out yeah. of there. And then there's the Holy Steppenwolf sheep. Theater. Yep. In yeah. Chicago. Equally devout. Yeah. But that's more like... I worked with them. I did a... I did a... Um, I did a uh, uh, like... Uh, I, I I was like a backup. You know, and you call me in. Understudy for, or something? Understudy for it. And then I was doing a play across the street at the Royal George that was Killer Joe. That was uh, Tracy Lutz's play. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. I was doing a lot of theater out there for the first year that I was out there. Getting paid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty well. Like, But that was the thing that was kind of a bummer was that I was getting about 200 bucks from Steppenwolf a week. And I was getting uh, – this play ran – the Killer Joe ran for about seven months. And I got paid a stipend of like 75 bucks a week for a while. And then I ended up – when it was like a smash hit, um, it became – like two, I was paying two fifty a week. And That's a like, smash hit. Mm-hmm. And they didn't permit me an understudy, and I started booking film stuff that was paying the bills. And it was like, well, I can go do this, and they're like, well, yeah, we don't have an understudy. What for kind you. of film stuff? I got a pilot in twenty ten. It was like my first big role, and it was uh, it was completely by freak opportunity, and it. Uh, there was one that was coming. It was to, to Chicago to shoot, and they wanted Chicago guys, guys who like had like some kind of Midwestern thing about them. Comedy was going to be for Fox, and it was, and you had to be good with improv. And I'm good with improv in a character. I can't go up on stage and be like, hey, "What's a suggestion?" You know, right, like right, I can't right, do right. that. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was uh, going to be written and directed by Vince Vaughn, and so a lot of the script was going to be improvised. I went in, just. Um, he wasn't there. I just did, you know, normal audition for it and improvised a bunch, went home. Like I got a call two weeks later that was like, Hey, uh, Vince wants to have you and another guy in, in an hour. Can you get here? And it was like, <laughs> Holy shit. You yeah. know, like, and he's, uh, he, I was, this was at the height of his powers too, you right, know, like right. 2010. I mean, this is like. What pretty, I feel like old school and yeah, and, and wedding crashes had already come out, oh, right, yeah. and uh, you know, like it wasn't right when it started to get kind of bad, you know, like he he was like he could get anything greenlit, you know, so it was like oh this pilot will go, and um, I went and uh, ran down there, and it was just me and this other dude, and that's a, it was a show kind of like a swingers ish kind of thing, and I was I was literally the talkative guy, and the other guy you know uh, opposite me was like the shy Favreau. And it was like, holy shit. And and it was just us and him and Peter Billingsley, you know, who's Ralphie and fucking... Was Peter there? <laughs> yeah. No shit. <laughs> You're just like, it's wait, was, grown up Ralphie. Wait, like, was Vince in the thing? Yeah. Uh, no. 
He so was he was directing it. No, or? Fox wanted him to be, but he wouldn't. Be. He was just going to direct it. Okay. So we he just gave us scenarios of the characters, and we started going off script. And it was like a forty felt like a forty five minute improv session. What was he like in person? Really cool. Because um, when I got it, he was like, "We're going to shoot next week," but um, he had an apartment across from the Drake Hotel downtown, and he was like, "I'm going to reserve a room, like a conference room at the Drake." And you two are going to come in, and we're just going to have meetings for hours um, for three days in a row. I'm 22, 23, and this is like the most crazy thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. And I'm just like sitting down with Vince Vaughn, and it's mostly for him to kind of destroy the mystique, you know? And we just start talking about ourselves, start talking about just various things. Yeah, because that's re- what you, really cool. you got to do. This is what I find yeah. uh, annoying about celebrity and about you know people who emerge in the culture and show up on your screen or whatever mm-hmm. is that I, I always describe fame living in Los Angeles and running into famous people out around town at the you know at Target or whatever <laughs> is that uh, fame is a third party entity. It's not that person and it's not you. It's some like idea that exists in between the two of you. Yeah, and I find it. I, like, let me put it to you this way. I would rather not be in a room with a famous person. Oh, yeah. Not because of the person, yeah. but because of the fame. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. You know, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like when you're around someone like that, it's like, God damn it, now I have to deal with this. Yeah, like, it's like, it's almost all this psychological pressure. And I feel like I'm, yeah. I don't want him to think that I'm, that I, you know, that I know him too well or like, no. I don't want to come on, you know, like it just makes me overthink things right. in a way that I can't stand. And I hate that because then it's like y- your fame is controlling me right. and the environment <laughs> right. and I can't be myself because right. you're here. You right. know, so it's right. like, that's why people too get like pissed off about a famous person being somewhere, you know, like, so it's like, it, it, it it's, it's ridiculous. I, I totally, it was nice that he did that because it was like, okay, you're kind of like making you kind of like taking down that brick wall. Well, that's what I, but that's what made me think about it is that that seems like a necessity almost. Yeah. Is that if you're Vince Vaughn or you're some super famous actor and you're meeting somebody who's like kind of fresh off the truck and, you know, not, not uh, used to that kind of stars uh, in our eyes for sure. Yeah. yeah, Then you're going to have to spend time if you want to get things to a human level where you can actually collaborate creatively or just like hang out as people. Yeah. You almost have to be willing to make that kind of effort. Yeah. That's a lot of effort, but yeah, it's a like, lot it's, of effort. What, what, what's going to happen in the absence of that? There's yeah. going to still Especially be that if mistake. you're trying to create something, you yeah. know, where it's like, and I was nervous as fuck. I mean, like my, I'd never been really on camera before in a professional set. And I started, when we first started shooting, I started messing up and I started improvising over my lines. And he just kept being like, do the written version, Kevin. Like, you know, like, and I was like having a, like a freak out, like almost panic attack. And, um, it's like first day and, and he like, this is the end of my career. This is it. This is it. Good run. You know, good run right. one day. Yeah. And, um, he gets coverage and we're like, all right, let's change the shot. He goes, can I talk to you? And I was like, oh God, damn. like my comedy hero, I've disappointed yeah. and he's just going to destroy me. And like, we walked outside and he just talked to me about, like told me stories about swingers, you know, and I was just like, this is amazing. Like, it's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, it's a, it was a good like little career lesson, regardless. But it was it was really kind. He he was really really smart dude, really fun. And he he told me I should move to L.A. He was like it, it, the pilot didn't go, but he was just like just go. He's like go go. You'll be fine. 
And uh, Peter Billings was super cool. I was like broke as fuck, and he would take me out to dinner when I was here. But he told me, he was like, move to L.A., you're going to uh, use a couple things. First, um, your your first two years are going to suck, and you're going to hate it. And just and two is um, never compare. He's like, it's not Chicago. It's not a city. It's like it's sprawl. So just kind of know that because you're coming from places where you're thinking that it's going to be a city, and you're going to project that onto it. It's not. It's not that. So it's a different vibe. Um, you have to kind of find things, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. just like a group of villages or something. Right. <laughs> Chicago is kind of like you go you go there and you like the the personality of the city is projected onto you. It's just like here we are. This is it. Yeah. And you're rolling with it or not. New York's like that, but like out here, it's kind of devoid of a personality, and it's up to you to kind of make it into whatever you want it to be. You know, like. You can convince yourself you don't live here if you want. If yeah. You live in the right spot. Oh, I'm in Highland Park. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, know? whatever. I don't know. Like, I don't see any billboards. Or, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, you can make what you want of it. So, but it took me a little while to figure that out. So you get out here, you start, what, doing auditions, you're auditions, writing. Auditions, writing. Um, I'm writing some short stuff, uh, some short story stuff, but then doing mostly sketch. That's like, we start working with Funny or Die exclusively. We had like a cool deal with them where who's we? It was me and my writing partner Ryan Collins, and then my my um, girlfriend who became my wife. So I moved out here with her. She went to DePaul as well, and she's an actor. Oh, okay. What's her name? Uh, Kate Cobb. So right. she she started. Um, she she was big into theater over there, and then getting here, like it, we were all just trying to make stuff. So I can imagine, and this is sort of like the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck paradigm where it's like, if you're an actor and one of the things about acting that, um, is so, uh, difficult for me to imagine is that someone has to give you permission to do your art. That's the weird thing. I think that when we first came out here to visit was like, oh, wow, there's so much opportunity and you see all these billboards and you see all this money and you go, we can make a living out here. And Chicago is really hard to do that. You know, there's a ceiling. But out here, there is no ceiling. You can do whatever you want. And there's a ton of it everywhere. And there's studios everywhere. We moved to Burbank right next to Warner. And we're like, oh, everyone has money and we're not allowed to have it. Like, right, you know? right, right. I'm like working valet and you're just seeing people are just coming in, treating you like shit. And people who are, you know, actors and everything. And you're like, oh, I'll just never, I guess, get that or something. I don't know. Like, uh, You were it, working valet? Yeah. And you had like famous actors like treating yeah, you like shit? Yeah, treat you like shit. Yeah. You, you want to drop some names? Scott Bakula <laughs> tossed me some keys. That, like hit you in the chest? Yeah. Hit me in the chest. <laughs> I wasn't ready for it. And they fell. And he didn't even like look me in the eye. Uh, <sighs> Maybe he was having a bad day. You or never just, know. I don't know, man. It was like, motherfucker, dude. This is... And you're just like, you just lost out on something, you know? Right. <laughs> Scott Bakula tosses you keys and you're like, son of a bitch. Uh, I yeah. hate this place. <laughs> he probably hate just it. like lost the role, lost out on a role that he wanted. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you did too. He, <laughs> and he just tosses you keys yeah there were a few times like that where you're just like man what am i doing I'm so over this i'm so tired of it or yeah like uh, i booked a pilot with greg actually so this isn't the first time i worked with greg i worked with greg in 2012 uh for uh nbc it was an nbc pilot so this is like the second this is the next big thing after vince it was like holy shit this is a big one what was this one? This was called Friday Night Dinner. They were adapting a UK show. Okay. A popular show over there. And we had a crazy cast. We like had who? Tony Shalhoub. We had Allison Janney. 
We had Gil Ozeri, UCB dude and writer, amazing. Me and an Aya Cash. And Aya Cash is in You're the Worst. She's huge now. Oh, yeah, that show. I saw a couple yeah. episodes. I don't watch a lot of TV. Right. Um, but I saw a couple episodes of You're the Worst. I want to say, because I, I had been writing for TV, despite <laughs> the fact that I don't watch it. And mm-hmm. uh, I want to say one of my agents or something was like, you should watch this show. Yeah. Like the comedy's really dark. I think you'll respond yeah. to it. And very and very mundane to a degree. Yeah. I, like but very funny without jokes in a way. Yeah. And but like also kind of vicious. Very yeah. Yeah. They're very caustic. Like they're just really and not like shitty sarcastic. It's believable and cutting and, and funny. Yeah. Um and cynical, but like <laughs> but yeah, really good. Um and so she was in it and it just didn't just just didn't happen, but you're at the valet stand. <laughs> I'm working valet and shooting that pilot. Oh, my God. And everyone's going, like, buy your house, buy your house, buy your house. You know, like, you're in wardrobe, and the wardrobe people are going, I hear they're going to pick it up early. <laughs> you know, like, we're having shot anything. And they're like, I think they're going to pick it up before you even shoot, you know? It's such a crazy business. Crazy. I have, mm-hmm. I've had the smallest taste of it. Um, you know, I did it for a couple of years. I mm-hmm. guess taking the meetings and writing mm-hmm. and running around mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and just, like, and then just being here and knowing people, you know, yeah. like it is an incredibly fickle business. Oh, it's the worst. Things come together. You think it's going to happen. There's all this ch- and then just falls apart. The writing thing is acting is like, you know, you get the job or you don't, but like you don't have to like the problem with the writing part. I think the writing part's harder because the jobs, the the meetings that you have to do, and I, and and after a while, once I started working in TV, it was like you can pitch now, and you're allowed to. And I was allowed, I was granted the opportunity to write. Right. You know, you're allowed to write now, and so all the things, the sketch moved into sitcom, and it was like writing pilots and pitches and going out and doing that whole thing. And um, I hated it, and I still hate it. Because that's good to hear. Because I'm like, do worst, I have a bad man. attitude, no, or does this no. really fucking suck? You had suck? MTV thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's we sold, we sold worst. it. But then MTV, there was a corporate reshuffling, and then it's like, sorry, it's the best. They yeah. fire everybody, uh, yeah. and they're like, oh, well, we don't want the thing that we the, from the guy we just fired. Right. So then get this so fucking after, thing out after of here. all that. Yeah, and that's and so and then it's just like, oh my god. The maddening thing about it is that you have no control, and that, um, and also it's like. I don't know. The, the the thing that pissed me off the most about it is that you're supposed to craft things that are part of you to pitch and sell to these people, but they don't want it. So I have to find what, in a way, what do I watch that I could make it kind of like or something? They still don't want that. So you look at the things that are on there and you read their pilots, you know, like pilot season comes out. You want to read all of them and, and figure them out and like what's working here? What 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 does the market demand? And you realize that like these writers suck. Like these are terrible scripts. These are this is shit. But then you also realize that it's like, well, this isn't actually what they submitted and what they pitched. They pitched something that they believed in and then they met with the studio and what this is, what I'm reading is compromise. So all that happens, and then this thing doesn't get made. I don't know. I got into this kind of wanting to have an audience of some sort, whether or community. Let's right. just say more right. than an audience. You want to communicate with somebody when you're an artist. Yes, you know? and, and when usually it's other artists. That's that's better. That's I would prefer that. 
You know, like that's what's cool about the, the, the community is that other people, you know, I can talk to Troy or, you know, or, you know, someone like Steve Anwell or something where you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, you know, you, everyone's reading each other's shit and talking about it. And it's way more inclusive compared to the lack of response that you get for this pitch that you've written for the past three fucking months that after when you're finished with it, you don't even really want to make it. Right. And then <laughs> it, it lives and dies with two to three people who aren't even creatives, you know, that are making the decisions on this thing. Right. And then you got to do the round robin, go around town and do the song and dance and hope to convince them to make the thing that you're not even sure you want to do. It's an insane, it's an insane process. And I can't believe... That it's the best way to do this. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it. The only like solid argument, you know, semi-solid argument that uh, I could, that I've heard uh, from anybody is that, you know, it it sucks this bad so that it weeds out the people who don't really like burn for it. I think that's true. I think like talking about needing it and everything, you know. Yeah. Because like you would have to be absolutely on fire. Yeah. To like make television. What's the matter with you? To put <laughs> to put yourself through. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Why did you choose this? Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, doing anything else, I would. <laughs> like if I totally would, you know. Like I can't. This is it. But know? then there are also though. You talk about like a guy like Greg Daniels. Mm-hmm. There are a few people. I'm thinking of showrunners in particular, mm-hmm. who you know they are kind of like creative. Um, you know, locuses or lo- loci, you yeah, know, like yeah, shit yeah. happens around them. Right. Like right. they can get stuff made typically. Though I guess this Friday night dinner didn't get made. No, no. Which was a shock, you know, like, uh, um, was a big one. And I had to go back to the valet stand and everyone was like, what's, aren't you like doing, aren't, I thought you were quitting or something. You're like, well, I'll be here for a little while. <laughs> I had gotten another show that was, um, shooting in Chicago. Weirdly enough, I got to go back. So it was a year later. It was like 2013. And, um, it finally came down to it. Like the pilot long process of like, is the pilot going to go, you know, it's like seven months. The whole time I'm telling these guys that I work with, like, I'm going to quit if this happens, it gets picked up, but it gets picked up in like May, 2013. But they're like, we're not going to shoot until like end of August. So I went to work and I was like, it's picked up. And they're like, are you quitting? I was like, I think I have to stay on for a few months. <laughs> and then when it came down to it, I like quit and I like took off my, polo and folded it up and i was like i want to thank you guys you know for everything it's awesome you know like it i i was able to pay my bills here but off to greener pastures and they were like um what (laughs) are you you're quitting i was like yeah no i got the remember i told you the thing and they were like i don't really remember so you're done and I was like, yeah. And they're like, you should just keep it. And I was like, why would I keep it? And they're like, well, they all come back. I mean, and I was like, oh my God, no. Like, <laughs> I need you to take this. Yeah, this yeah. is my closure. I you need have closure. To we, need yeah. to, we need to punctuate this. Take this fucking polo off of my hands. <laughs> and I got a call when I was over in Chicago shooting that was like a message left for me from my boss being like, hey, we're getting like destroyed up here. You were supposed to be here like a half hour ago. It was like they did not, they just could not compute right. that someone like was able to go, was able to leave. It's great though. Yeah. You got, and then is that the last time you've... Uh, that was it. It was the last job I had. And you've been working as an actor since then? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It's cool. hard to do. Yeah. It seems like though you've always had... Um, good fortune. I mean, like, you mm-hmm. know, you're 22 and you're sitting across from Vince Vaughn. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. things I have broke. Got a lot of, I got a, a lot of luck, too. Yeah, for that's, sure. Th- that's what it takes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to hustle. Yeah. 
you got to uh, put yourself where you got to put yourself. I think where stuff's happening. You just have to stay alive. You just have to like stay alive and in, in the whole thing, and it's just perseverance. It's just like it, it, it's it's if you were the you know to use a, a boxing analogy, like you just would just take the shots. Yeah. Like you know, as long if you don't if you hang in there, you know maybe this whole career will exhaust itself <laughs> other people will fall away me. yeah and allow me to you see it constantly you know people just kind of dropping what do you um, have what like aspirationally like series television has gotten so good mm-hmm. um and so vast i mean it's like yeah. i can't keep up yeah um you know but there are some shows i mean i say i don't watch tv like i do there are shows that i get hooked on um, like I watched all of Game of Thrones. Sure. Like most people. Yeah, I still yeah. don't know what happened, but I want to yeah. <laughs> um, I'm into Homeland. I don't know. What, sure. I mean, every episode is just Claire Danes just having a panic attack. It yeah, feels crying like, yeah, silently. Just, just crying, <laughs> like, just trembling jaw. Yeah, yeah. Clench. Uh, I just want Saul to hug me. That's mm-hmm. all I want. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell me that. Um, okay. But I just, you know, some of it's just like a function of time because it's like, you know, work all day, come home, eat dinner, bathe the kids rock the kids you know like walk the dog right. and then it's like before bed i have like 20 minutes before i fall asleep and so it's not like i can get into shows as easily because i just don't have time for it and then on top of it there's so many fucking shows yeah there's too many it's way it's, way it's sort many. of like books i mean there's too many there's books, too many books. We're, we're all doing this too much everybody <laughs> wants to make because everybody yeah. wants to do it i want what do you want to do oh i want to make content and get paid yeah. a lot of money to make content yeah 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 i want to make a living making stuff and putting it out there yeah i know it's like it, it and it's 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 fairly ridiculous and it's overwhelming and we don't need it too you know we don't need this much shit but like yeah there's just a bunch of people who just can't stop doing it so and you can do it you can do it from any level you know like you can if you want to be an actor you can just be an actor you know like you can go do community theater and you're an actor you know or if you want to write, you know, you can self-publish. You can do whatever you're going to do. You know, like, so it seems like, but the problem with that, especially in a place like this, is you can delude yourself and you can think that you're doing it. And that's my fear is that am I just, am I doing it or have I just convinced myself that I'm doing it? Right. right. <laughs> well, I think you're on a Greg Daniel show that's on Now Amazon. it's fine. Yeah. But it's just, maybe it's just general fraud complex that it's just, I feel as if at any point in time. Someone's going to the like pig. Tap, tap you, know, you on I'm the shoulder. I'm just getting it tapped on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And like someone will, uh, any party I go to, if I have a drink, it's like someone's going to tap me on the shoulder. It's going to be security. <laughs> They're going to take the drink. Mr. Bigley. Yeah. And was, and they don't even have to say anything. It would just be like a nod and I'll just nod back of like, a, I understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Game, game's over. And I respect that you did it quietly, yeah. and I understand that we probably let this go on longer than you like, need to. Let's not make a scene. <laughs> just, not. just walk out the door. Agreed. Yeah. Thank you so much <laughs> for giving me a half hour. I got halfway through my drink. I should be going up. Yeah. It's just like it's it's complete. It's um, it's it's complete fraud couple. But yeah, I'm just scared that it's never the thing. But I think that I don't think that's ever going to go away. It won't. I think maybe okay, maybe it'll go away if you get to like you know. You're like 70 years old or in your, you know, mm-hmm. in your older years, you're gray mm-hmm. and you've been working as an actor the whole time. Right. Maybe some of that neurotic stuff goes away. Maybe you've done enough. You have enough credits. But like, then I think though, it's like, well, when, when are they going to put me out to pasture? <laughs> yeah, right. Cause you know, it's like when, yeah. I guess the roles are going to stop coming soon. Yeah. Pretty yeah. soon I'll just be aged out of this game. And, this will be it. You yeah. know, and now they, now they need the young 
the the young guy. Yeah. The be, you know the better yeah. uh, skin tone. Yeah, you're just the guy, the old guy, and they're like, "Who is that?" And then they Google the name, like he doesn't look like that at all anymore. He looks like shit. Yeah, that that'll be me, which is totally fine. And maybe the thing goes away. I don't. I don't know. It, it at least. I, you know, it's like when you like, whenever you're writing anything or acting, it's just like, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, fuck it. Like, I'm not questioning whether or not I should do it. So the fraud thing doesn't get in the way that way. It's just like, it, it just makes like, um, taking compliments seriously, very difficult or, um, or, you know, ignoring rejection or failure, you know, makes so that it, difficult. It makes it difficult. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, you and you gotta be that over the other one. You gotta be rejected all the time as an actor. It's constant. Constantly. <laughs> Constantly. I was rejected on the way over here with my lift. Yeah. Like it's like, you're were you just, really? No. Oh, maybe. I mean, I'm probably, there's probably some, there's something happening right now where I'm being, someone pitched me for something and it didn't work out. So yeah. I'm constantly, I'm sure, losing out on things. But after a while, whatever. I don't care. It's totally I don't fine. even remember. Like, here's what's so crazy. I probably have met, how many meetings? You know, five dozen? <laughs> right. I want to say maybe over a hundred times I've been right. in one of those meetings. Right. I don't remember any of them. No, I don't even remember. I don't remember anyone's name. No. I don't remember what was said. Or the jokes that I like shot for and like, you know, or like, oh, the fucking thing of like pitching and like watching their face yeah. and be like, and they're out of it. They don't give a shit about it. They're this. like, well, they're like yeah. on their computer. They're I got to get loud. You know, like <laughs> I got to do something to like get them back in, you yeah. know, like, yeah, it's, it's like so fucking annoying. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. No amount of success will make any of those, will change any of those things or the frustration of that or whatever. So what's your aspiration like if you had a dream career as an actor and as a writer and you have I mean it's like literary uh, television film like if is there an actor whose career you look at and you go that would be the kind of track that i would love to Dude, be whenever on. i get any of that i always um disappoint because it's like it's i love like greg kinnear you know like it's like that kind of longevity permanence in acting would be nice. Yeah. Permanence. You know, just where you're like, you're not going to have to worry about that guy working. And he seems sane. He seems sane. Sane, good stuff. He owns yeah. a house. You know, like, that's great. Like, that's right. what, that's all that I, that's all that I want. You know, like Sam Rockwell would be, that's like the coolest career you could do because he hasn't compromised any kind of image or identity. He seems very much he can, himself. And he can do all sorts of stuff. Getting all sorts of cool stuff. You know, that would be really cool. But I don't know, man. I think, um, like, I was told I was I was like w talking to my wife about this a while back, like probably 2015, 2016, where she was like, "What?" I was depressed. I had a show that was canceled, and it, I was like kind of debating what well, that exact question. I I was thrown for a loop because I worked my ass off on the show, and we got two seasons. And what, then what show was it? it was Sirens. Okay. It was like a uh, Dennis Leary comedy, and uh, and all of a sudden. It's gone, and you just realize you're taking the meetings again, and it. I just was thrown for a loop because I was you're like, back at the bottom of the hill. This is it. Yeah, it's the Sisyphus thing. I'm just gonna. That's the whole thing. It's right. just the whole career will be, if everything felt like this momentum, and now I'm going back. Yeah, just to go back to where I was. Right. And the things I'm going out for suck, and so I'm gonna have to fight just as hard. To get a shittier experience, you know, it just started to really trip me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do I find, how do I um, take myself out of this thing and stop putting my self-worth into, I like bombed 
an audition at that time that really fucked me up, and it was an audition for the Muppets television show. Wait, they did a television show They did again? a television show. It's gone, so you can't watch it. Oh, I was going to say, because they did the movie that did great. They, they did the movie, did well. So that after that, they decided to make a network show that was kind of be like a Larry Sanders thing. And I got called in and uh, just general audition for it. And were, you, were you auditioning with Muppets? I was running out of money. <laughs> I was running out of money. I was scared. Yeah. And I had this audition. goes fine. I get a call back, uh-huh. and they go, you will be called back to act with the Muppets. <laughs> Not a specific Muppet. Just general. General Muppets. Yeah. Get ready. They're, you're going to be on camera. You're going to be asked to improvise the whole night. This is recurring on a network show, so you're probably going to make about 8500 bucks per episode, plus residuals on network, terrific, are probably going to be about half that, that that'll keep coming. You'll probably, and this is six episodes... You know, so six, twelve, eight, twelve, thirty. You're gonna, you're gonna probably end up with about eighty grand at the, at the end of this thing. And I'm watching the bank account just because I just haven't worked in a while. Yeah. And I go and I'm just already sweating, which is, means you, it's failure. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, I'm already done. Yeah. They and it, what cemented it was when they called me in and I walk into the room and there on a chair is like lifeless, boneless Rolf, like a <laughs> dog. <laughs> You know, I can, and, yeah. and I was like, oh, what God. an absurd life you're living. What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you're like, what is this? How am I going to get out of this? Yeah. And, but it's just, just this pulsating number of money is in the back of your head. Oh, that you're just God. like, I need it. I need to be alive. I can't go back and go back to this valet stand. You know? Right, right. And then they go, well, let's, what puppet do we want to do? And they decide like Pepe the prawn. <laughs> So this puppet just like pops up next to me and I just stare into it's like lifeless, (laughs) black, whirling eyes. There's just nothing. And I just froze and like I fucked it up. I like stammered over my lines. I didn't think of anything funny and they were just kind of like disappointed and I didn't get it. It was just like, so I was talking to my wife. This is the long run. My wife was like, what do you want to do? What do you want out of the whole thing? You can't just mope around all day. And it was like. If I had my druthers, it would be to be on um, uh, a show in which I'm an ensemble member. I'm like, you know, one of five, you know, and uh, I'm not the main guy. And, like but, Friends or something. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm kind of more of the comedic character because I like that. And it's less pressure and uh, shoots for three months Why out of the Why is it less year. pressure? Because you, the, the comedy I feel very comfortable with and everything, but I have, I have, a, I have a problem... Um, sometimes watching myself for, for too long on something. It's just kind of neuro- – it's a neurosis for sure. But like it's just a lot of pressure when something fails because, you know, the picture deadline uses is your face. Right. Where, like the ratings aren't hitting or something, you know. So so you mean like it's less pressure when you're part of an ensemble. Yeah. And but it, why, is, why is comedy less pressure than, say, a dramatic role? Just because it's easier for it's you? It's justice because you get the immediate feedback of whether or not it works, you yeah. know. If drama – if people can just say like – that didn't work for me, you know, and someone else could say like, it worked for me, you know, that's my life, you know, like I connect with that character hard with comedy. It's just more of a justice because people just go, that wasn't funny, you know? And, um, you know, if, if it's live, you get the immediate response of it. So you know whether or not it's funny and on set, you know, you have writers constantly, you know, 
<laughs> over in Video Village is Greg Daniels, <laughs> like right. your comedic hero, or Vince Vaughn, or something. Yeah. So it's like he's got to be laughing, you know. And and if he comes up after me and he goes, "Funny, we live," you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, not funny, we die. What's the line edit, you know? And for drama, like I'm going to come in, I'm just going to try and be as real as possible, and I'm going to do whatever work I need to do to like convey a believable message or whatever. But like with with comedy, I'm doing work outside of it um, that's like I'm coming in with five alts, you know, like for something. And we, that you might be like, well, that's more work and that's harder. It's like, yeah, but it's jokes. It's just it's, – it's easy because I, I, maybe the work of it is maybe easier. So you, you come know? in with five alts. Like you'll have a joke on the page and then you'll come up with different, you know, different takes. And when you're shooting – like the like a, a Greg Daniels will let you he'll let you riff like you can yeah go. yeah Greg will let you come in with stuff um, as long as it doesn't take you got to get the written first and right. usually at the ends of scenes is good right you know because there's usually if you watch a show like that where it's like they're going 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 then we're done at the end end of the scene cut and now if you keep it going and you come up with a couple of things and another actor has something and you keep, you find something else you kind of find this burst of energy because now we've done eight takes and now we have something new and and it translates to the screen so how, like, how often does that work like where that's what makes it into the final cut depends on editor but like i don't know you can find i've i mean depending on the show and how welcoming they are to that kind of work uh pretty often you know you can find like a handful of times okay. depending on the show like new girl or something would have a ton of them um, the sirens I did it. We had at least. Were you on New Girl? Time. No, no, oh, no. Okay, but like that's a good show for that. Where you're like, oh, that they're definitely improvising right here. It's just so chaotic and free, you know. Yeah, and it's it was, nice to mix that with the writing. Too. Was Max Greenfield on that show? Mm -hmm. He's a buddy of mine. Oh, cool. Our kids go to like you know would play in the same soccer team or nice. go to school. I met him recently at a at a party that was. Um, this is very LA. <laughs> yes, it is man. I know he's I, the nicest guy though. Yeah, yeah. I heard he's yeah he's great. Yeah, I talked to him. He's nice. Yeah. Good dude. So, um, you want to work? I wanted to do a Greg Daniels show. I was like, I want to do a Greg Daniels comedy that's an ensemble that shoots for part of the year. The way that that th things have changed, you know, now where it's like you you used to be able to. My buddy said this. Josh Degari is a great actor. I did a show with him recently on Fox, and he said this thing that I was like, Fuck, that's so good. Where. <laughs> I was like, do you want to do movies or anything? What do you want to do? And he was like, I don't think that like the way it used to be is that you would be on a sitcom and then the sitcom would hopefully be a success. You'd be on them until one is a success. You pop a little bit. Studio goes, let's give them a shot at a comedy and see if it pays off. And if they do their star, if they don't, they go back to TV. Right. You know? It's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. Dude, Pacino's got an Amazon show. He's got one. That's where you are. That's, a, that's where you, it is. You that's, and Pacino are That's right. Me and Al. <laughs> Big Al, I call him. That's like you. You. He was like, I think you just kind of hope to do a lot of things. Just keep working. That's it. So, and collaborate with good people. No. And like doing this show, I love this show, and I'm doing um, other shows too. And I'm... You're doing uh, other shows in, in, on top of Upload? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got Undone, which is a rotoscope show. What does that mean? Um, it's like Linklater's Waking Life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the oh. same company did that. So the people who did uh, 
a cartoon I did voices for, which was BoJack Horseman on Netflix. You were you were a voice on that? Yeah, I did voices on there. That's cool. That yeah. show did that show was like very uh critically acclaimed. Yes, yeah, very much so. Like they're great writers. And they decided to do something that was rotoscoped, so we shot it and they drew over us. And that was that was also equally critically acclaimed. Came out in September called Undone. It's like magical realism kind of thing. Okay. Really cool, like Waking Life and stuff, Scanner Darkly. And, yeah. Um, very cool. And uh, we're shooting season two of that now. And now I did a Fox show with Dennis Leary and Elizabeth Perkins, Jay Baruchel, uh, called The Moody's. And uh, they might continue that. Yeah, You're killing it, dude. You're doing all right. You this is it. You got stuff to, happening. To answer your question the long route, like, yeah. this is it. Where it's like constant work, um, work maybe half the year, and then spend the rest of the time writing. Like, writing for screen and then writing your novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, how did, um, let's talk about the novel. Like, sure. how did, when do you decide? Like, oh, you know, like film and television is not enough. Writing sketch is not enough. What I really want to do is write a novel. Like, how did this happen for you? I was pitching shows a lot and super frustrated. And I was writing some sm- small stuff on my own, just that I was never submitting or anything. But then I really hated pitching. <laughs> I was like, I'm so happy. To I hear this. hated it, and just the audience of three. You know, that would be like. What does my manager think? What does my agent think? Uh-huh. What does the person I'm pitching think? And then I'm not going to get it made, and it dies. And I just spent six months crafting characters and storylines and all this shit and wrote a script, and it's never going to be used. So it was about trying to utilize um, my writing time for something that I felt was could that would provide me more of, instead of a response, the audience-wise response and community, something I could get involved in. So I started like, you know, just I was reading fiction, you know, so just uh, some some lit mags and stuff. And so I started submitting and I got some stuff up at Model and House and X-Ray. And, and I was like, cool. Well, then and then I had an idea for a novel that was um, a lot of my my short stories were about nostalgia. So it was like kind of why? I don't know. I think I'm deeply nostalgic for sure for I don't know. Uh, for very just for the, I'm always constantly like thinking about the future of the past. I'm rarely present. I'm not even present now. <laughs> like <laughs> thinking about the past a lot. You know, like I'm just a, a very nostalgic person. But I think also right now, it's just like everything is a comic book movie. You know, what like we're inundated with so much nostalgia and um, look at like uh, Stranger Things and it's just it seems like we're pining for that and like it really kind of frustrated me with like ready player one you know like how it's fun it's fun book but like i had a few friends that were like this is a literary achievement and it was like whether or not i hate to shit on something because i liked it and it was super inventive but it's just like but this is just a dopamine thing you know like they're just mentioning uh, ghostbusters in here and we go i remember ghostbusters it's like yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not responding to the to the work i'm responding to ghostbusters which is awesome you know so let's touch some cultural reference points and get everybody feeling right good about their childhood or my big one was um and then probably from moving around so much i can't sleep well when i shoot whenever i am working i there's been multiple times when i was doing sirens my first season of television there were Probably around nine times where I did not sleep. Jesus. Um, yeah, and I went like thirty whatever hours, and it happens pretty, pretty like even on this season of upload, probably happened three times. One time where it was thirty some odd hours, but a lot of times I get one hour, maybe if I get three hours full night, that's like that's I'm gold. Just anxiety. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think there was. A, I read um, in a, uh, uh, in like a Philip Roth book, he said something like that the, the bed was an incubator of dread. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's for me, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it, whenever I'm working away from my wife, my, it's not like I just I'm very aware of me sleeping. So when I start to fall asleep and I start to fixate on something like the beach or whatever, my brain goes like, oh, so that's how you're going to do it. Nice. Good choice. Yeah. Let's focus on the beach. Yeah. Like, Fuck. Well, now I'm awake. So, <laughs> right, right. So I started playing this game, having moved around so much, where I would envision um, uh, like an, an area of time, like my backyard from that house on that freeway on ramp or like the mall, you know, or I would be like, what did my sixth grade classroom look like up in Oregon? And I would try and construct the room and it was a super fun game and it was relaxing and it helped me get to sleep a couple times because then I would just fade off. But I got obsessed kind of with the game of it. Right. And I started getting worse sleep. (laughs) And I thought that was interesting that this thing of nostalgia was something that like kind of got me, it was soothing at first, but then kind of became very detrimental and poisonous. Got it. Yeah. So that was like the point of Genesis for the book. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to think of something then of in that realm. And I was thinking a lot about like purgatory. My my grandfather um, had just passed and I was like kind of like thinking about that. And uh, I had some dream where he was in a bar that was like, uh, because he definitely liked to drink and he was in this bar and he was just kind of like waiting for, there's a thought, there's like some kind of, uh, I don't know who said it, it was like some theory that just to make you feel good about death that was like, once you die, you go to this place where you, you see everyone uh, from your life just in transit to go wherever the fuck you're going. And I thought that that was an interesting thing, that that's your little purgatory. So I had a dream where he was in a bar seeing everybody, and then everyone left, and then he had to go. And I was like, if someone, you know, you could kind of get some some character stuck in there, but maybe that place is a trap. So maybe you could stay there. So kind of thought about that. And I also tried to think of the alchemy of like the book of like how I wanted to do a split narrative and stuff. So I started thinking, uh, you, you mentioned time. I'm obsessed with that idea. I wish I could buy more of it in a given day. Yeah. Like a half hour. Never enough. Hour. Never, never, never enough, time. enough of it. Yeah. You know, like I feel that I'm always like, God damn it. Like I don't, I need more time to get shit done. <laughs> yeah. And that's what this is. Like this book I think is just kind of grieving time. Yeah. Like you're just how, how finite it is and impossible it is to hold on to it. And so much of our time is spent in living in the past anyway, or the future things that haven't happened or things that don't exist anymore and, uh, certain comforts and kind of how they can be traps from dealing with the present. So, um, dealing with both of those worlds, both worlds are dealing with that. And then what about the, the creative process of writing a novel versus, screenwriting, acting, these other kind of like, you know, areas of interest and these other creative muscles that you use? Like, did you find writing a book easier, harder, more pleasant, about the same? I'd say like definitely more pleasant because I felt liberated. I didn't have to think about like, well, there's so many times when you pitch with somebody too, where they're like, I just don't like that reference because they're not going to get that. You know, I wrote a music thing one time and went out with it. It was about like this aging punk rocker. It was based on um, kind of loosely on the life of like Jay Retard, you know, like this just totally like snot nosed, you know, 
punk kid who's but then as i was taking out like you know my manager was like i just the people you're going to be meeting with for better or worse their favorite band is going to be like the black keys you know like in a good scenario you know like so you're just going to have to kind of cater it towards a little bit that and again compromise and i felt that there was no compromise in this and part of me i didn't tell anyone i was writing it didn't tell my wife i told my wife i was writing something didn't tell any of my friends so a lot of this book is a surprise because it was just like i thought it was just an indication that i was probably losing my mind or something you know or like something would happen to me and they would find this on my desktop and be like <laughs> oh yeah he was obviously crazy <laughs> He was, he was really, really struggling. <laughs> he was writing a fucking novel. He was going, why didn't anybody notice this? Where There were signs. So, yeah, I like – I found it very liberating that I could just follow everything, you know, to 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 a point that I was happy with. Total control. Total control. And that it's tough because when you pitch and stuff, you, you like we're talking about, I, it's – or when you're on a show, you have less control as an actor too. There were, I was on things where it was like, this is not like a clear indication or representation of like where I am at, like personally. And um, some people are fine with that, like that disparity. I'm, I'm having, a, obviously, I'm having a problem with this because I feel misrepresented and I'm kind of, um, you know, maybe it's a fraud complex or something. I don't know, but like, I feel like I'm not being, I'm not showing everything that I can do. I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm playing to the uh, not playing to the height of my own intelligence. In a book, it was just free license. It was it was uh, and as far as an actor or um, person who'd written a lot of screenplay shit, it was like I tried to keep. I knew what I liked when it came to the reading experience, which was I, lo- I love dialogue, and that's obviously some kind of strength with sketch and and, and script writing. So you're like, okay, there's that. And um, and character because I play a lot of them, so you know the intricacies of things. And there were the writers I liked. I felt like were really funny, and you know, like, like who? Saunders and Lipsight and um, Elkin, and I just love how funny those people can be. And when you read that, it's liberating too, because you're like, you get to play to the height. You get to put all of yourself in this. It's about that, you know. You get to be as funny as you want to be. And that was really that was really exciting. For and me. Were, you, were you thinking like this could be something that I could later adapt? Was it? I mean, like, you have to be thinking cinematically. Maybe, like I, I thought about it a little bit. I especially because the process was similar. You know, like I did, I did note card it out, and I thought about how, where, what the I, I'm plot oriented. I'm going to be. I'm not yeah. going to be a different writer as a. It would book have writer. to seep in somehow. It's right? going to be the same. It's my it's my way in. You know, like so, and that's it. And I don't need to change that because I, that's how I like to write too. So thinking about that stuff, it was like, oh, I could see this being that. But it, um, at the same time, it's like if I'm going to adapt it, it would be expensive. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. So then, you know, like, the, I mean, he's in a city in this dreamscape that's rotting and changing. And, you know, um, it's like there's a giant talking stuffed bear. You know, like it, it, it would be you could do it. You got CGI. And- so, so maybe putting it out of my head as far as thinking of it at all as an adaptable idea by making it so expensive might be <laughs> right. a good way to but do it. But also like a, as a creative exercise, something that can help you um, keep things enjoyable, stay sane. Yep. Um, maybe grow. Yeah. Yeah, I created. No, it was like I was just trying to, I mean, I, I, like transform 
genuinely, you know, um, and organically and not force something or, you know, and, and create completely in a, in a, in a liberated environment of just my office, just writing this. And I have no intention of, I I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know who's going to publish it. I don't know if it'll get published. Like it's just, I, I, and I know through what I've done with short story and script that I'm just going to follow that. And I know what I like when I read. So it's like, I'm just going to keep going with, with this and make sure it's genuine. So in somewhat of my voice here and yeah, and and it's also rewarding, not thinking of the adaptation kind of thing, because when people have read it now, it's like it's so you, and you're like, yes, you're like you know, like yeah. I got me in there. Great, <laughs> I found, I wound up on the page. Yeah, so that's good. So, are you going to write another one? Like yeah, a- I've been writing one for the past like year. Really? And it's about my hometown. <laughs> oh, yeah. You yeah. got to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. You got to do some Dust Bowl. You got to do some yeah. Pelican Bay. Yeah. It's like uh, right now, I've been working on it for the past year, and it's like um, it's like three stages of time in that place. So it's like 1850, a character in 1850, a character in 1980, and a character in modern day. So that's what it is now. But um, it's taken a lot of research. My dad's loving it because... I get to call and talk to him about the 80s. Right. <laughs> this is wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh, awesome, man. That's well, it's, cool. it's fun talking with you. I don't think I've had... I mean, I have people in here who've played in bands. Who have I talked to? I've probably had an actor in here before. I'm, I, you know, I, I, it escapes me. But I don't often get the opportunity um, to talk to somebody who's worked in all these different fields. And uh, it's interesting um, to hear about how like one might feed the other and just you know to hear about it in general so thanks for taking the time well, thanks, congratulations man. on the book and uh best of luck on the new one does it have a title yet um it's uh so the area that it was called for a while was called uh, gateway to the gold fields so that's what it is now that sounds like a good title yeah and it always was funny to me because it was like i don't know every it, it, the book's about schemes and like everyone i grew up with had a scheme so like uh and it, it's funny because the biggest scheme, one of the biggest schemes in world history started there, the gold, yeah. <laughs> the gold rush. Yeah. So it's like, it's funny. It's like, is it in the soil of this place? Did it, did, you know, literally it was. So, you know, everyone, if that's, has that survived? Is it the town or the people? And they called itself. It still now is still, there's still a little science gateway to the gold fields. And you're like, so it's so promising and yet here we are surrounded by destitution (laughs) (laughs) all right well we'll keep an eye out for it thanks for uh, making the time and coming over thanks man i appreciate it okay guys there you go that's kevin bigley his novel is called comaville and it's available from clash books you can find him on twitter his handle is at kevin bigley great time meeting him Again, his novel is called Comaville. Go get your copy. If you would like to write to me, my email address is letters at otherppl.com. If you're sitting at home and you have something that you want to say to me, if you have a story you want to tell me, if you have feedback on the show, the address is letters at otherppl.com. If you would like to support this program... Uh, It is offered freely. The entire archive is available for free. More than 600 episodes. They're all available for free. Hundreds and hundreds of hours of content offered freely. So your support is appreciated. If you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash otherpplpod. 
This program has its own official app. In case you were not aware, the official app of the Other People podcast. It's available wherever apps are available, and it, too, is free. Go get the app. It's the Other People with Brad Listy app. So let me see what I got coming up next. Oh, my God. I think I have. Oh, I, th- I, th- I have uh, Danielle Trasoni will be my guest. Or actually, wait. I gotta figure this out. It might be no. It might be Rowan Hasayo Buchanan. It's a book club author for the month of April. But those are two that I have in the pipeline. It's just a matter of which one comes first. So either Rowan Hasayo Buchanan or Danielle Trasoni will be next. Rowan Hisayo Buchanan is the author of a novel called Starling Days, and uh, Danielle Trussoni wrote uh, The Ancestor. All right, folks, I think that does it. Please drop into a defensive crouch. <laughs>